Welcome to the Nonprofit Hero Factor, a weekly live video broadcast and podcast where we'll be helping nonprofit leaders and innovators create more heroes for their cause and a better world for all of us. Ding. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Hero Factory. This is another episode in our series on Hollywood storytelling tips for nonprofits. I began the series uh, about a month ago now, helping uh, organizations figure out some of the key storytelling elements that every great story should have. I'm basing everything, of course, on the Hollywood formula because it is one of the most successful formulas of all time, arguably the most successful, and certainly in terms of revenue. You know, if you've ever enjoyed a movie, been inspired or moved by a movie, by what you saw, or even just greatly entertained and appreciated that entertainment, then you've experienced the power of a great story, specifically in the way that Hollywood has put it together. It doesn't mean that those stories have to be on video, that they have to be big budget. It, in fact, so many of the great uh, Hollywood stories are not on a big budget. They're told with low budget cameras and, and actors who may not even be at the top of their game yet. And yet they can come together and create a story that's really exciting and fun to watch. So I don't want the term Hollywood to make people think that this has got to be big budget blockbuster, you know, superheroes fighting with special effects. Sure, that's one type of story. But there are so many different ones. And in the first part of the series, I covered how to set up your stories by first framing your, your goals and then really understanding your audience and the characters involved. Once you know what you want to achieve and whom you're speaking to, who you want to uh, step up and become the hero of a story, now it's time to take a good look at how you're going to tell it. This is where that do we need a blockbuster part comes in. <laughs> In the end, you see, all stories work on similar principles, and any story can theoretically be told in countless different ways. Today, let's look at what story structure looks like and the elements that we want to include to capture and keep attention, as well as to inspire our audience to hopefully become heroes for our cause by taking the actions we need them to take. And that starts by thinking about what style you're going to be telling your story in. Now, again, it doesn't have to be a blockbuster. There are rom-coms, there are documentaries, there are thrillers, there are action movies. All of them have their place and all of them can tell a story in a different way. In fact, you could theoretically take the same story and frame it differently, tell it a little bit differently using different dialogue, different staging, whatever it might be, and suddenly turn it into a different genre. Some of my favorite uh, clips on YouTube are actually taking known movies and uh, remixing them into something that looks and sounds completely different, oftentimes adding a different soundtrack, which is also an important part of uh, the Hollywood storytelling system, which you can use sometimes in your own productions. Obviously, music plays a role. But what's key is to first start by picking your style. And shifting styles midway through is often disorienting. If you've ever watched a movie that you know started out as a comedy but then shifted into a horror film, I don't think any have happened, uh, any have uh, been made that way. But if you've ever seen a movie that starts as one thing and then turns into another and you feel kind of lost and disoriented or it's trying to mix too many styles, right? Uh, oftentimes that happens at the risk of actually keeping a, an audience focused and following along because it's very disorienting. So first start by choosing your style and then choose your genre. 
right? Your genre is specifically the, uh, whether it's a rom-com or a sitcom, if it's a TV series, right? Uh, think about, is this a feel-good story? Is it a tragedy? Is it a romantic comedy, a documentary, or a cautionary tale, right? Those are all valid genres. And you want to be really careful because you never want to seem like you're telling a tragedy in the sense that this is bleak and this is how things are. You always want to be including some element of hope, some uh, element of progress that people are not just going to always be in this situation, but that with my help or with the audience's, the hero's help, people are going to be in a improved uh, state of life. They're going to either be uh, more educated or they're going to have more food and not worry about where their next meal is coming from or have shelter or have arts, whatever it might be. Um, you want to have that kind of hope in every single story that you tell, uh, especially if it's the story of one of your uh, beneficiaries so that you don't feel like you're just trying to tug at heartstrings, but also to inspire people that change is real. And then you want to be true to your medium. So as I said before, not every story has to be on video. It doesn't have to be a big movie. It could be a podcast. It could be a, a video series, a webinar. It could be in a sequence of emails or a single email. It could be a blog post. Any of those things and all of the different other media types that are available and increasingly becoming available to all of us as consumers and as creators they all have their own elements of structure and their own uh, constraints. Remember, uh, one of my favorite expressions is creativity loves constraints. So embrace the limitations of whatever medium you're telling your story in, and then feel free to play with them and see how you can use them to your advantage. Every weakness is actually a strength if looked at the right, looked at the right way. So be true to your medium but then also know when to break the rules. So you don't always have to follow proper etiquette when it comes to storytelling, because sometimes breaking with that etiquette will get the attention you want. You always, of course, wanna be careful that you don't break etiquette for the sake of breaking etiquette and you don't offend people whom you definitely don't want to offend. Often uh, certain politicians and organizations might I don't see this very often with, with nonprofits, but they might actually vilify somebody and uh, put other organizations or other people down in order to make their point. That's not the kind of etiquette that I'm talking about you should break. I don't personally believe in that. I believe in uplifting people instead of putting them down. But you do want to break out of norms sometimes, uh, whether it's your voice. So if an organization has a particular voice that they usually tell their stories in, sometimes a change of voice might be just the thing you need to start attracting new attention or to sort of uh, dislodge people from the groove that they've already been in with your organization, get them to pay attention to new. And then you want to know your POV. Now, POV is a common term. It comes from, I believe it comes from Hollywood where there's a POV shot. Maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe it actually came to Hollywood from somewhere else. But the point of view is often decided before a movie is ever shot. Every movie has a what's called a shot list where they're going to talk about, okay, 
first we're going to have a third person point of view where we're going to have a medium shot, let's say. Then we're going to have an older, over the shoulder POV shot. And that's going to be approximately through the character's eyes, through one of the character's eyes, looking at the action or looking at another character. Similarly, in your own stories, it's never a objective third party person uh, that is just watching and relating a story. That person has a point of view. They have their perspective on things and it's totally valid. Whomever your narrator is should have an opinion. Maybe they're happy about something that's going on or maybe they're disappointed with the state of the world today or maybe they're excited by the possibilities, right? But either way, they have a perspective and oftentimes if it's someone who is on your staff, that perspective is one of authority because you are an expert in your field. You are someone who knows, or the staff person speaking, knows something that the majority of people don't know. So that's a valid and important point of view that they could be taking and that instructs how that story might be told. So once you have those elements, now we could really look at how a story is structured. So what do I mean by that? Every Hollywood movie, has it follows a formula now they don't all do it perfectly in fact they oftentimes will break with the norm on purpose and we'll talk about that a little bit more but there's a reason why they do it because within that structure they can do a whole lot of different things including even improvisation movies aren't always completely prescripted and that's okay but knowing it well helps you organize your thoughts in order to then change them around in any way that you want to make the story more interesting and more compelling. So let's talk a little bit about that. Of course, the classic story structure is simply a beginning, a middle, and an end. Every story must have those three things in order to really feel like a story to us. If it's something that doesn't have an end, then we feel kind of left wanting and uh, a little disenchanted with the storyteller. If it doesn't have a beginning, we might start off confused which sometimes is intentional. <clears throat> and if it doesn't have a middle, if it just jumps from the beginning to the end, then we're often left unmoved because we're not sure how the transformation took place. And that's another thing that every story must have. So uh, people often don't have the patience, for example, for a slow start. So don't feel like you have to go all the way back. You can begin anywhere you want to begin. In fact, some of my favorite movies and plays don't begin at the story's beginning, but the plot, the action starts somewhere later on, maybe even at the end in the case of um, one of my favorite plays is Betrayal by Harold Pinter or the movie Memento, where it's actually being told in reverse chronological order in, in a really interesting way, right? Those are all great devices, but within those stories, if you were to take them apart, you could actually reshuffle them back into an order of beginning, middle, and end because all those parts do need to be covered. That said, you want to tell a complete story or a complete part of a story. So whatever point you start at and order you choose to go in, make sure to paint a complete picture by the time you're finished or give the audience a quick way to learn the rest, for example. So if you're doing short form storytelling on social media, you'll often have that link to deeper content that they could find on your website or on YouTube or wherever else you create your content. So you're essentially telling a short version of the story, a teaser for the story and saying, hey, you want the full thing? Great. Go find it over here. We're happy to share it with you. Right. And then one thing that I, I advise people to do when telling stories, because 
there's a lot of different stories you could tell, and sometimes it's hard to think of all of them, is to celebrate victories. So whenever you're watching a movie that does have any sort of action, and that could inclu include romantic action, there are ups and downs, there are highs and lows. Those ups are victories. The characters have experienced something that has made them feel better, made their world better, has somehow been a success. You wanna be sure to celebrate those because they might not happen every day, but that's even the more reason why they're so important to show people that victory is possible, that there is hope for the future and together we can get there, right? Every step forward is a step toward achieving your mission. But you do want to acknowledge setbacks. And this is the next tip. Um, movies and their heroes don't have a straight path to victory. In fact, uh, if you could see my hand, it, it kind of goes up and down, up and down, new highs, new lows, new highs, new lows, because the stakes are constantly being increased. If a character knew everything that they had to do at the end in order to succeed, they would probably be too scared to do it in the first place. So they wouldn't get started. They would never become a hero. The world would never change. There are setbacks along the way, and that's okay, because you're going to then show people how you help them overcome those setbacks. Um, one of the quotes I like is that the measure of a hero or a person, a man, I think it was originally said, but I don't like to use those gender-specific terms, is not how many times he or she falls down, but how many times they get back up, right? So that's acknowledging your setbacks. One other thing I wanna say about that is that Failures are normal. We all fail. We all have setbacks in our lives. And when you're telling specific stories of a specific person's uh, journey, hopefully it is a journey that leads them through transformation and gets them to a better place in life. But if you don't show along the way the challenges that they have or the challenges where they started or along the journey, if you're not able to show those, then the people are not going to feel three-dimensional and they're not gonna feel relatable. There are scientific studies that show that when someone opens up and shows their vulnerability, they actually elicit a response, a, a neurochemical response in our brains that is the release of oxytocin. That oxytocin is the chemical that helps us feel trust and compassion, both at the same time. And well, aren't those the very things that you want people to feel when they're thinking about your organization? So when you're opening up, feeling vulnerable, talking about the vulnerability, people will relate. They'll feel like you're a human being, right? No one wants to give money to Nike, but people do want to feel something based on the, the shoes and the experience around the clothing. No one wants to give money to an organization that is just some umbrella name. They wanna give money to people working in an organization for a cause that we all believe in and want to succeed. So acknowledging those setbacks helps us feel like you're a human being and this is human to human, which is ultimately everything that we want to achieve. The next thing you wanna do in storytelling, and this is a fun device, is foreshadowing. So if you are telling a story uh, that may take a little bit longer, let's say, to get to, to the end, you wanna maybe hint at what's coming down the road that opens up a loop in, in our brains. We naturally want to close that loop and we will be much more likely to uh, stay tuned to the end to get that loop closed, to, to feel that piece of information 
filled in. We don't like having these uh, question marks hanging in our minds. So it might be like uh, something along the lines of, you know, before we tell you how this person did this, let's start at the beginning, right? So, oh, wow, this person was able to do this and you're going to tell me how. That opens up that loop. You're foreshadowing what's going to happen later, right? That's just one example. Or you could say, but more on that later at, at some in some way at some point in your story. And I do that oftentimes even in my interviews. I say, hey, you know what? We're going to come back to that later. But first, let's expand on the issue that we're talking about, right? So it gives people an, an incentive to stay tuned and stay focused on your story. The next uh, tip that I find very difficult to do, to be honest, is to take the time to make it short. So Mark Twain once signed a long letter of his uh, in which this, uh, the PS I believe was, I apologize and I'm paraphrasing this, but Mark Twain said, uh, please forgive me for the length of this letter, uh, that this letter is so lengthy, I didn't have time to make it shorter. And it's kind of funny. It sort of, in Mark Twain's way, makes you think and, and put some question marks up in your brain. Why does it take longer to write something that's shorter? The truth is, it's easy to ramble. It's easy to go on and on. It's easy to include much more than someone needs in a story. But everything that's not critical, that's not serving a very specific purpose in your story, that is an opportunity for someone to become distracted, to tune out, to, as one of my theater directors, uh, theater director teachers used to say, that gives them the chance to start counting the lights in the theater. And as soon as they're counting the lights, you've lost them. Movies are often made in the editing process. They are edited and re-edited and condensed and recondensed in order to make them as efficient as possible. Every little scene, basically every word, has to contribute to the objective, the super objective, and the plot of the movie. Otherwise, it is cut on the editing room floor. So take the time to edit it down to the essentials but of course, not so much that you're removing the human factor. The next tip that I have is to feed them elephants. Now, of course, I don't advise anyone ever actually eat elephants. I love them. They're beautiful creatures and they should be protected as they often are. So what do I mean by feed, feeding elephants? There's a quote that says, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. It's by Creighton Abrams Jr. And I confess I don't know anything else that Creighton Abrams uh, said or wrote, but that one has really stuck with me. The story of our organization, of our work, of our lives, it's long. It's very long. And that doesn't, if you're trying to boil it down and just get it to one small thing, you know, in the, in the way of making it short, you might miss out on a lot of different things. So instead of trying to boil down someone's life into a sentence or into a two minute video, you may just want to focus on one specific element and then have people come back for the next installment, the next element, the next tale from their lives. So feel free to focus in on one particular part of a journey or one particular transformation that your programming has had on a particular person or your own experience with the organization. Zoom in on one thing and tell that story in a short, compelling way 
then people are much more likely to come back for the next bite of that elephant, the proverbial elephant. One more device to add to that in the realm of keeping people coming back is throwing some cliffhangers. Now, cliffhangers, as some of us that are old enough to remember these types of movies know, are actually the end of a movie, the end of a double feature, uh, the first part of a double feature oftentimes, where the hero is literally left hanging on a cliff. That's why it's called a cliffhanger. And you want to know what's going to happen to that hero. You're excited, you're scared, you're uh, angry perhaps even that the hero is there in that position. And so you're much more likely to stay for the second half of the double feature past the other reels that might come in between the commercials, whatever it might be, go out, buy some more popcorn. Really, that's what the theater wants you to do, right? But you want to know what's going to happen to this person. So a cliffhanger is the term for stopping a story at a very exciting point and saying, I'm not ready to tell you the rest of it just yet. You're going to have to come back later. Very effective advice. Don't overuse it because when you do, people will stop tuning in. Um, I'll give you an example. When the Lord of the Rings movies came out, I hadn't read the books. My mistake. And I saw the first movie and I loved it. I watched it. And when it got to the end, it didn't end. It just stopped. And that was upsetting to me because I wanted some sort of conclusion, some sort of uh, wrapping, some sort of bow on that present that they had given me. And I didn't get that experience. I was upset. I didn't go see movie number two in theaters. I waited till three came out and then I watched one and two back to back and then went to go see number three. So don't overuse cliffhangers and make sure that they are exciting and that you're not going to leave me waiting for much too long because chances are I'll forget and then I'm not sure if I'm gonna tune back in for the second part. So that's on cliffhangers. Then cross promote. So this is something that TV shows will do oftentimes. If you watch any of the Chicago series, Chicago PD, Chicago Med, right? And uh, Chicago Fire, they'll often cross promote each other. They're all part of one television universe. Similarly, the Marvel Cinematic Universe will do uh, the same thing where they'll cross promote each other's movies, right? Different movies in the universe. Um, that's a great thing to do. And in your stories, you could do something similar where when your audience is enjoying a story, be sure to tell them another way that they get similar content. Now, that could just be telling them, if you sign up for my newsletter, then you're going to get more of this type of content really soon. Or if you like this story, you'll really love this other one that we shared just recently or one that we're going to have soon, right? Cross-promoting and sometimes it could go even beyond just from story to story, you could cross-promote programs, you could cross-promote all kinds of things as long as they are relevant to the audience that you're working with. And remember, we talked a lot about keeping things relevant to the specific audience in the first installment of this series. I encourage you to go back and listen to that again if you need to or haven't heard it yet. So if you've told your story well, and we're going to talk more about the action of a story, in every movie, we've got the end of the movie, the credits, right? Don't forget that your movie, your story has credits as well. Show them, show your audience that this is a team effort. The credit belongs to your heroes. Now that might be the narrator of the story, or it might be whom the story was about, or it might be that the donors who made this possible 
or the volunteers who slaved day after day to make this actually happen, they deserve the credit. And you want to share that credit because it's going to help us all feel like we can be heroes as well. Because if people like us are in the credits, then we could also be in uh, we could also be heroes in this world. Speaking of supporting uh, credits and giving credit where credit is due, this this series and everything that I talk about wouldn't be possible without some of the great storytellers throughout the ages, including people like J.J. Abrams and Shakespeare and uh, Robert McKee and Creighton Abrams um, and my favorite theater, film and writing teachers, right? All of them were heroes in one way or another in my life. And I like to give them credit. I give credit actually oftentimes to my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Kropitsky, Kropitsky uh, who taught me so much about writing and about storytelling in fourth and fifth grade. She actually was my teacher for both of those, right? Give that credit. It makes you look humble. It actually encourages you to be humble and grateful to the people who make things possible. So now that we've established the style and some of the structure of storytelling, let's look at the action. So the action of a movie is all about the conflict to save the world of the protagonist. Again, that doesn't have to actually be planet Earth. It could just be a marriage. It could be a relationship. It could be a child uh, coming into their own and, and having their transformation in one way or another. But for their mission to be successful, a hero has to rise up in the face of all obstacles and win the day, sometimes begrudgingly, but they do have to, right? And we talk about calls to action a lot. Before we uh, have those calls to action, we have to establish the backstory. And that is, what is this world like? How have things been up to this point? What is the history of the problem? Problem. Chances are, if you are running a nonprofit, you are focusing on one or two specific problems in the world. Now, that might include a bunch of different programs that you're running, but there should be an overarching mission, right, that unifies all of the things that you focus on. That is the big picture problem. If you uh, are familiar with old movie trailers, they all used to start with, in a world where there is certain kind of injustice, there is a man or a woman or a child who has to take on the seed of power, overcoming, right? That, that dramatic voice talking about the world that we live in. Similarly, in the first few minutes of a movie or any story in the beginning of it, you establish that this is the world, but there's something wrong. If there's not something wrong, then frankly, no one needs to do anything. Everything is fine and we can all move on. That's not the case for your organization or your mission. So what is the backstory for this particular story, for this particular segment of your storytelling uh, novel or whatever we want to call it, series? Then you want to go ahead and map out the journey. If your heroes take action, if your potential heroes take action and step up to become heroes, what will that journey look like? What are they going to have to do? How long will it take? How many paths can they take, right? So you might have multiple programs. They all should help with your overall mission and goals. Well, they are different paths to success. And I might want to take one path versus another, depending on how you've described it and what resonates best with me. This is the part of storytelling that really differs from Hollywood in the case of your organization. In this case, you want to make the potential hero 
the, their own agent of change and turn this into a choose your own adventure rather than a pre-written story. So map out the journey, perhaps uh, telling me how long this might take, what I'll have to bring, what I should be prepared for so that I don't feel like I'm turning a blind corner and unsure of what's going to happen to me if I go ahead and volunteer or go ahead and donate. You want to make it super clear for me. The next thing to do is to set the stakes. So what will happen if in this world that you've established, the hero doesn't take action, the potential hero doesn't become a hero? What's at risk? Are more people going to fall to prey to a certain pandemic or phenomena? Are uh, fewer kids going to grow up having certain opportunity uh, or be able to do something with their own lives? Are future heroes not going to be able to realize their own potential, essentially, right? So make it clear why this is a battle that really must be won. What's at stake? And then create a clear call to action. So I talk about this a lot. Uh, a lot of organizations that I've worked with, they assume that people will know what to do or that the best call to action is to donate money. That's not always the best thing depending on where you are in your journey, where I am as a potential supporter or an existing supporter, there are different actions that I might want to take. But if you don't tell me clearly that this is the next best step, or here are one, two, or three, I really wouldn't go over three possible steps that you could take next to become a hero, that would be fantastic. Ideally, I recommend making those steps uh, a scale, a ladder, if you will, where, Someone can do one thing that takes almost no personal commitment, like, for example, signing up for a newsletter, or they can donate their time or their voice or their money. And different calls to action will have a different level of commitment. So if I'm already well invested in the stories that you're telling and in the organization, the work that your organization is doing, then a greater call to action might suit me just fine. Whereas if this is the first time I'm meeting you, don't ask me to marry you before our first date, go ahead and ask for my number or ask for my email address. Actually, either one these days people will ask for if you want to run an SMS campaign or an email, usually email is easier. Or maybe even it's just join you on Facebook for something or sign up for an event. Um, any of those are perfectly valid. And it gives me the sense of control that I can decide what to do next. But don't assume that I'm going to automatically start looking on your website or on your social media, wherever I find your story, for what can I do now. Don't count on me to be that moved and inspired. Make it as easy and frictionless for me as possible. Then you want to slowly build to a finale. Uh, as I was motioning before, for those of you watching this on video, the stakes get higher and higher. The successes and failures will feel higher and deeper. Ultimately, there is supposed to be in every story a final battle. Now, again, this doesn't have to be a superhero movie. It could be a rom-com. It could be a buddy comedy. It could be a documentary. But it comes to a head, to a climax. And the battle for the fate of that world, whatever, however you define the world, will be at stake. 
So you want to slowly build to it. As I was saying a minute ago, your calls to action should rev up over time, depending on my engagement and affinity for your work. But you do want to keep raising them on me over time. Give me the opportunity to do more and more. Hopefully, if I've already taken action in the past with you, I have seen that action pay off. You have kept me informed. You have told me what my actions have yielded in the world that we both see has an issue in it. So that next time you could say, you know what? Doing that achieved this, right? X achieved Y. If you do X plus two, we're going to achieve Y times three, right? Your, your return on investment is going to be even greater. So slowly keep building to that final battle. But do, and this is the next tip, Make it a winnable fight. There's a concept of a donor-sized problem where you don't want to ask for somebody uh, from somebody who can't afford to give you a million dollars. You don't want to ask them for a million dollars because they'll feel like, oh, well, I can't actually solve this problem. You want to make this uh, a winnable fight by giving your audience something that they could do that's going to have an impact, that's going to pay off, and that the culmination of the support that I'm going to give, plus this community that you're building around your cause is going to give, the culmination of those is going to make this a winnable fight and we can achieve our mission and the vision of the world that we want to see together. Okay, so make it a winnable fight before you ask me to actually jump in. Those are the elements that I want to talk to you guys about today that will really help you set up your narrative, your structure, and the style in which you're going to tell the story. Combined with the audience and understanding how they work and what types of characters you should have in your story, you should now have a great foundation and even a structure with the beginning, middle, end, and whatever order you want to put it in that's going to engage your audience, that's going to attract new audiences, hopefully, because you're going to resonate with them specifically. And you're going to tell it in a way that's going to keep them interested and wanting to hear more from you and keep coming back for your content, whether that's on social media, on email, on your website, how, uh, however you want to serve it to them, including, of course, on a podcast. I hope you enjoy this show. I hope you, if you haven't yet, go back and view or listen to part one, see all the takeaways, which we're going to have for this one as well on our show notes page at nphf.show. And you're going to then want to come back for more. That's my hope because if you don't, then I'm not going to be able to give you more value and I'm going to lose your the ability to help you do even more. So hopefully I've done a good job of teasing that this is part of a series and that in the next part of the series, we're going to talk about specific elements that you could introduce to really make your audience pay attention and take action. Make sure not to lose them along the way. And all combined, you're going to have a great idea of how to tell a great story the Hollywood way, but specifically for nonprofits. Thank you for joining me. Next week, we're going to have another guest on the show, as we do most of the time. This is part of a special series of Hollywood storytelling tips for nonprofits. And I look forward to seeing you with a guest next week. Bye-bye. Thank you all for watching and listening to the Nonprofit Hero Factory. We hope this episode has given you some ideas and strategies for creating more heroes for your cause and a better world for all of us. Please be sure to subscribe to this show on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And let us know what you think by leaving a review.